In August of 2020, uh, my family, we moved into our new home in Bedford, and so I was going through some boxes of stuff that we had uh, there, just stuff that had been packed up for quite a while, and I came across a paper that I had written in April of 2008 as part of a leadership lab uh, when I was attending Maritime Christian College. And the assignment that we'd been given was to write about where we saw ourselves and the churches that we were going to be a part of in the year uh, 2020. And so I was kind of like, well, it's 2020, so let's see how, how on I was or how off I was. Um, and so I looked at this paper that I'd written as a 21-year-old. And as I'm reading through it, it's, it's just like, it's kind of painful because I'm like, man, you poor, sweet, naive, foolish college student. Like, I was optimistic, I was full of hope, but I was, I was quite off in what I wrote down there. And like, I'm reading through this going, like, I envisioned that I was going to be a part of a mega church and it was just gonna, everything was going to be awesome. Now, let me say this, <clears throat> HCC is an awesome church. I love being a part of it and God's doing some pretty cool things here. But to be honest, like, looking back at that paper, due to inexperience in, in church leadership, um, I didn't know all of the challenges that come with being a part of a church um, and in being in leadership, nor did I know the unique challenges we would face as, as churches or as Christians in this cultural moment. And if, if you're like me, like sometimes you just kind of read things, you see things, you watch the news and you're going like, this, this just feels crazy. Like things feel upside down, they feel backwards. And so... Nobody also told me this, that there was going to be a global pandemic in the year 2020, so I would have factored that into the paper that I was writing and what I saw the church looking like at at that time. But I want you, if you can, um, to think back to the year 2008. What did you envision life was going to be like in the year uh, 2023? Now, um, some of you, you're like, I was like, just born in 2008. Some of you weren't even born. Like, you're all babies. Um, but, but for the those, those of us who are old enough, um, maybe you, you think back to being in the church in 2008. What did you envision that the church would look like in the year 2023, 15 years down the road? And my guess is that this is not necessarily what you thought it would look like when I'm talking about the, the broader church um, scale and what you see. That reality for the church isn't quite what we hoped it, it would be. And I think if we were honest, if we were to go back and then look forward, um, we, would, we would kind of expect that things would go a little bit differently for us. John S. Dickerson, he's a, an author, and he wrote this book called The Great Evangelical Recession. And he says this, The church's overall numbers are shrinking. Its primary fuel donations is drying up and decreasing or disappearing. And its political fervor is dividing the movement from within. In addition to these internal crises, the outside host culture is quietly turning antagonistic and hostile towards evangelicals. And again, speaking of the broader church, I would go, I think Dickerson like, just nails it. He's, he's banging on with that. There was a Statistics Canada report that um, was based on research from 2019. It found that religiosity in Canada is at an all-time low. Christianity in Canada is in sharp decline. So in 2011, 67.3% of Canadians said they were affiliated with a Christian religion. In 2019, that number was down to 63.2%. In 1996, 46.9% of Canadians over the age of 15 reported being affiliated with the Catholic Church. Now that is down to 32%. 
the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada says that only about 11% of Canadians are evangelical. And so there's this societal shift taking place in um, Canada where you see secularization taking place and the church and faith are no longer seen as necessary or even desired in the lives of many Canadians. Like I was on PEI last weekend uh, visiting family and we uh, were driving around, like going to beaches and out to Cavendish and stuff like that, packing summer in. And as we're driving through the country, there was a few times where I saw these old church buildings and they were just like shuttered nobody's using them. Or maybe uh, you, you're in a more rural area and you see that there's a church that's been turned into uh, uh, condos. Or my, my brother and sister-in-law, they rented uh, a place, an Airbnb, that was an old church that got turned into an Airbnb. Or maybe you see one that's turned into a restaurant. And so these places of worship that were used years ago are no longer being used as places of worship. The United Church in Canada, that's, they say on average one of their churches closes um, one church per week and they expect that to accelerate. In November 2019, the Anglican Church of Canada released a report that said they may cease to exist by the year 2040. That's, that's 17 years away. It's not that far. Now, if I were to summarize all of this in kind of one sentence, I would say the church in Canada overall isn't doing too well. Things aren't looking that great. And you might ask, well, there's churches that are growing. What about them? And we would be a church that is kind of a church that is growing. But here's the thing. If you kind of get into it and you look at the statistics, what you find is that um, most of those churches are mega churches. And the reality is that 75% of the new attendees that they report are actually Christians who left another church and started attending their church. So it's not, um, it's not new believers, it's just kind of membership transfers. It's, it's kind of the sheep moving around to different pens and flocks. So the problem isn't simply that our, our churches, they're getting older and they're getting smaller. That's only one of the problems. The church isn't winning new believers fast enough to keep pace with rapid population growth. Many congregations are splintering. They're splitting over um, politics and postmodern views of God and the Bible. There's a shortage of leaders within many churches. Um, a, a March 2022 report found that 42% of pastors had seriously considered quitting full-time ministry in that previous year, and that had gone up from 29% to that 42% in just a year and a half. The majority of those who hold Christian and conservative values, if you look at kind of the age they're probably going to die off within the next 30 years, which means traditional values are probably going to pass away alongside them. And so we have more people who are claiming to be atheistic, agnostic, or non-religion, or non-religious, sorry. There was a, a research or um, a survey done, study with 1,200 college and university professors that found that 53% of them held unfavorable feelings. Not, not neutral feelings, unfavorable feelings towards evangelical Christians. And that, that prejudice will probably continue to grow as it's transferred from professors to the students and then into the mainstream culture. Because what you find is what is kind of popular within the university, the, the main thought, finds it way, its way over time into the broader culture. And so that will shape coming governments and cultural norms. Now, aren't you encouraged by all of this? Like, you know, like, I'm so glad I got up and I came here this morning because this is just nothing but good news. Feeling so edified by all of this. Like, it's not fun. I'm not like, oh, I'm getting some joy out of sharing this stuff. It's like, it's looking pretty bleak. 
But the church isn't what it was or where it was. And we're getting to live in some interesting times and the world is changing, the culture is drifting away from Christian values that it once held dear. And the movement away from Christian values seems to gain support with each passing year. And if we're honest, many of us as Christians or churches, we're going, ah, we, we don't know what to do about it. Well, how, do we, how do we slow it? What do we do? And it's no longer good enough just to kind of, let's disagree. Let's tolerate one another. Traditional values are kind of being labeled as bigoted and hateful. Like, I, I oversee our, our church social media. It's kind of one of those things that just falls under my umbrella. And so... I remember years ago, somebody sent a message to the church and they asked, what are your views on this hot topic? <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, all I respond is like, we are a Christian church. We believe that the Bible is God's word. We take it seriously. And so what it says, this is, this is how we, what we live out, what we believe. And then it was just like, I got blasted just for kind of saying, we're Christians and we believe the Bible. Like they disagreed, telling us how we were wrong for believing these things and, and labeling us as, as hateful. Now, I've said this before, but it's, it's just getting more and more true. To call yourself a Christian in 2023, in today's day and age, that's not going to win you any popularity contests. And so here's what I, I kind of see happening within churches. That fear is something that a lot of Christians feel. A lot of us are getting a little nervous and, and angsty about what we see taking place in the culture. And a few years ago, I was just kind of struggling with where I saw culture headed and what that might mean for the church. Because, like, um, I, I love the church. It's, it's the bride of Christ. It's the family of God. I've also got a very vested interest in this thing. Like, I'm kind of, like, all in on this. But it's not just that. It's like, what, what are my kids going to inherit from me? What, like, what, what are we going to leave for our kids what are we going to leave to our grandchildren? What will this all look like? And so it led me to do a lot of reading and thinking about this. And so a lot of us Christians, we're, we're going like, what happened? Like, something's going on. But it wasn't, like, if we, if we think back, it wasn't that long ago, we can go like, ah, oh, the glory days where we Christians, we had it pretty good. The church was the center of cultural and political power. The church used to have a major influence in culture, and people used to care what Christians thought, thought like Christians thought, and the church had a kind of a voice in some of these things, but it, it wasn't actually always that way. It wasn't long after Jesus ascends into heaven that the early church, the early Christians, are being despised and persecuted by both the Roman Empire and the hostile uh, Jewish leaders. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to open up to he Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 32 through 34. So the, the author of Hebrews, again, starting in verse 32, says, Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. And so believers would have to flee their homes in order to escape imprisonment or death. They had their property confiscated, they were unable to conduct business with others. They were tortured. They were executed. They were nailed to crosses. They were dressed in animal skins, and they were kind of thrown and torn apart by the dogs that they were put in the Colosseum to face uh, lions for the entertainment of the crowds. 
Tradition says that in AD 64, Emperor Nero lights Rome on fire, and then he goes, it was the Christians. They did it, and to kind of publicly punish them, to shame them, he takes them, he puts them on stakes, he covers them entire, lights them on fire to light his balcony at night. And despite all of this, the church still grows, and it flourishes in this time. And to be a Christian in the early church meant you were going to live life on the margins. You're probably going to suffer. You're probably going to be hated and despised because of your faith. But the Christians, they counted the cost. And they said, Jesus is worth it. They were willing to give their life for him. I was was thinking about it. I was like, man, as I read this, I'm going like, whoa. And a lot of us as Christians today, we would go like, "Let's, let's just be honest. We'll say, I'll give my life for Jesus. But if we're honest, we struggle to give him an hour on Sunday morning. Like maybe we're on something else came along, something better's there. And we, we, we give, go to that instead. Jesus, you have all my life. Can you serve? Nah, too busy. Can you support the, the, the church financially, the bride of Christ? Uh, I don't think I can do that. And so we're going like, I'm all in, Jesus. But in reality, are we all in, in the way that we live? And we're going, what what changed from the early church to today? And there was something that changed. There was a turning point in history, and it came around 313 A.D., The Roman Emperor Constantine, he issues this decree which legalizes Christianity in the Roman Empire and ultimately allows people to worship Jesus freely without fear of persecution. And with that, Christianity becomes popular and its influence is gained throughout the world. And nations and empires, they go out, they chart new territories, they discover new worlds, and as they do this, Christianity goes with it, that new civilizations are established as Christian nations. And the church moved from the margins of society, became influential in politics and culture. And in many ways, a person was considered Christian just because of the place that they were born. And going to, to church on a Sunday morning, it was kind of socially mandatory. It was good for business because like, man, people want to do business with the Christian baker. They want to take their, their car to the Christian mechanic. He'll probably be honest, hopefully. But the local church was significant in the social life of the community. It was where people gathered. But at this time, things kind of started changing in the church. There was this divide that grew between the congregation and the clergy. And people gave money and the professionals got paid to do the work of ministry. Churches wanted, needed the money to keep coming in. And so they began offering more of what the people wanted to hear, what the people wanted. And the church lost her sense of mission in this time. And a focus on making disciples of Jesus was not prioritized. And there was a shift from uh, people orienting their lives around God to taking God and orienting him around our lives. That God was this means to an end. God was there to make us happy, not holy. And churches continued to make people believe that it was about them. And it actually diminished the church's relevancy and influence in culture. Like churches began to encourage people, basically, you know what? Follow what feels right to you. Do what you want to do instead of what necessarily God calls you to do. And it didn't take long for people to go, you know what? The church isn't actually that relevant in my life. Like think of it this way. Back in, I think it was March, I was sent for some routine blood tests by my doctor. 
And uh, she calls me on the phone and she goes, it turns out you have extremely high cholesterol. And I'm like, that's an old person thing. I'm, I'm young and it turns out I'm getting older. But she was going, what we need to figure out is whether it's genetic or it's lifestyle. Um, and you've got to eat healthy and exercise more. And we'll, we'll figure this out for three months. And so I kind of threw myself into that. Now, here's the thing. I blame all of you because it was lifestyle. Um, at Christmas, you just loaded on like the, the chocolate and the, the cookies and the sweets. And Shannon didn't touch it. And I did. I, I ate it all. And so it was, it was lifestyle. But here's the thing. If my doctor in this effort was like, you know what? I don't want to upset James. I want to keep James happy, and I want him to come back, and we'll have good feelings. So I'm not going to tell him. It's just like, you, you know what, James? You just keep doing what you do. Don't worry about that exercise. Don't worry about healthy eating. Would she actually be relevant in my life? Would she be fulfilling the role that I need her to fulfill? And the answer is no. And when churches start, like, just telling culture, here's, do what you want, we become irrelevant Tim Keller, he would say that the church floundered because it lost the habit of evangelism. Now, I also want to say this. The church, capital C, global, does not have a blameless history. With increased power and authority, there have been churches and Christian leaders who abuse that authority and continue to abuse that authority. They are guilty of grossly immoral um, activities and cover-ups, and it's affected people's trust in the church. And because of this, Christians are looked at with suspicion, with little trust. Now, I know that that's a rather simplified and generalized overview of church history, and that and more have influenced the way people kind of look at, at the church and Christians. But whether you agree with me or not, the evidence is clear to see that the church is heading back to the margins of society. It's kind of clear that we're at another turning point in history. In 2011, Google unveiled a package of online tools for nonprofit organizations. And the package was worth thousands of dollars, but qualifying nonprofits could use these online tools for free. But the following groups did not qualify churches, proselytizing groups, and any organization that considers religion or sexual orientation in hiring decisions. So churches were intentionally excluded from the program, and Google's policy was reversed not long after, but it was a sign of where culture was headed. In 2018, uh, the, the Canada Summer Job Program for Students basically required that organizations sign something that said you agreed with the government's views on funded abortion and uh, sexual identity in order to get funding. Like, if you didn't sign it, you, you wouldn't get it. And that decision was reversed, but it was not a, a, a move towards freedom of religion. It was a move towards freedom from religion. And we could keep going with examples. And so the culture and religious climate, it's changing. And if you're close to my age, you probably recognize, or maybe older, that the world we're kind of growing up in or raising kids in is not the same world that, that we knew 30, 40, 50 years ago. And I want to say this, I don't think we are experiencing persecution here in Canada. We're just starting to kind of feel it's getting a little awkward. It's getting a little uncomfortable at times. And as the church or culture continues to kind of veer away from Christian beliefs, values, and principles, that divide is just going to get wider and wider, and there's going to be more and more tension, and there's going to be more and more times when we might butt heads. 
And Christians' views are no longer simply seen as wrong, but they're increasingly seen as problematic and even dangerous. Now, there's a question that uh, men get nervous when they hear. Uh, Whether you're a boyfriend or a husband, it's this. How do I look? What do you think of my outfit? And it's like, oh, why? Because, like, we know, women, that you want an honest answer. We, we know that. Um, but we also know that the wrong answer could prove fatal for us. Um, and so when asked the question, how do I look? It's like inside you're like, you just want to be like, I didn't hear it. Or, or whatever. But, but you know you can't say nothing. Because like to say nothing would speak volumes. And so you have to respond. You must choose how you're going to respond and choose wisely. And this cultural moment demands that we respond. We must respond wisely. And every day you're going to find yourself um, confronted with things where you have to decide how you're going to respond. And so how will we respond is the question. And maybe you've been thinking about how you'll respond, researching, reading. You've got a good answer. Maybe you're going like, you know what, I'm going to follow my gut. It's just like, as it comes along, I'll just go with my instincts. It, it hasn't led me too wrong yet. And maybe your plan is to go with consensus. You're going to go, okay, here's what my church seems to be doing. Here's what my friends seem to be doing. Here's what my family seems to be doing. We'll, we'll let the majority rule. And there's, there's a few common ways that Christians tend to respond to culture. And the first one is this, convert the culture. And this mindset says that what matters most is that culture reflects biblical principles and values. And so this view gets upset when we're like, ah, they took the Bible and prayer out of the classroom. And so in order to see that happen again, people will go to great lengths to make it happen. And people who want to see the culture be converted might be willing to make alliances with politicians and political parties. They'll make what they see as a small compromise for the greater good. But this approach tends to be antagonistic and defensive. It encourages what's become known as the culture wars. And so it pits the church against the world and does not draw this healthy line between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God uh, to come. And this view tends to listen to people who reinforce their fears, fuel their anger towards broader culture. And over time, people who hold this view tend to get kind of um, angry And they lose their sense of grace and love and mercy for those who disagree with them. And it it begins to see the culture as an enemy that has to be defeated. Not as people who just happen to disagree with them, but, but Christ still died for to save. And so we should strive to be engaged in culture, seeking to transform it through the power of Christ. But until Jesus returns, this world is never going to look the way it should. And what we have to understand is that you can't use politics to build the kingdom of God. You cannot legislate people into heaven. And so our mission is not to force the Christian way of life on the world around us, but our mission given to us by Jesus is to show that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And trying to make the culture Christian most often drives people away from Jesus. Philip Yancey, he said, ironically, our respect in the world declines in proportion to how vigorously we attempt to force others to adopt our point of view. And so the reality is that this approach has probably left a lot of people suspicious and hardened towards the church and its message. Ed Stetzer says, you can't go to war against the people and be on mission at the same time. So in other words, even if we were to win the culture wars, we wouldn't actually have won. 
We wouldn't have fulfilled our ministry. Instead, we would have probably been taking shots at the hostages that Jesus has called us to go out and help rescue instead of shooting at the real enemy. Now, during COVID-19, we got used to this idea of social distancing. It'd be like, don't come within my six-foot bubble because you might be sick. And if you've got that virus, you could infect me with it. So, so keep your distance. I don't want your germs. And this has kind of been an approach that some Christians have taken to uh, the culture and living in a sinful world. And maybe you've looked at the news and stuff going on, and you've been tempted. You know what? It would be kind of nice to retreat into a Christian bubble. I'll get my cabin in the woods, and I'll just be isolated from everybody. I'm not going to interact with society because it's evil. It's full of sin. It's contrary to what my faith values. And that's kind of the, the approach that some people take is let's condemn the culture and there are groups that encourage Christians to kind of create their own subculture um, by withdrawing uh, from the increasingly unchristian and anti-Christian uh, broader culture. And so it's like, we got a compound in the desert. Come join us. We're not letting anybody else in. But this view tends to see everything in culture as evil. And so the intention to withdraw, it's good in that uh, it's motivated by a desire to be holy and distinct from the world but, and not be tempted to be sin, but it's, uh, it's, it's unbiblical. Like in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus tells his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You, you, are, you are preservative. You bring out the flavor. But here's the thing. Unless salt comes into contact with what it's to, to preserve or what it's trying to bring the flavor out of, that salt isn't fulfilling its purpose. In John 17, verse 15, 16, Jesus sends his disciples into the world. But when the church is like, let's retreat out of the world, we lose our opportunity to interact and represent God to a lost and confused world. And the reality is that culture is not the source of evil. Like, I, I tend to do most of the grocery shopping for our family. And so uh, at our grocery store, I roll into the produce section first. It's nothing but fruit and vegetables, all that healthy stuff. But here's what's happening. In the back of my mind, I'm going, know what comes next, James? The sugar, the butter, the flour, the bakery. And I'm like, I just can't wait to get there because I love carbs and carbs make me happy. Um, and, and so like, that's what's in my, my mind, especially at like nine o'clock at night, you're rolling past the discount cart, 9 p.m., they got the 50% off donuts. And I'm like, I, I'm like God, give me strength because I just want to buy them all and demolish them that night. But here's the thing. In Mark chapter seven, verses 18 to 23, Jesus says that it's out of our hearts that come it's evil. And so just like my desire for butter and sugar will find me in the organic vegetables and fruit, retreating from the culture is not going to stop sin. It comes along regardless of wherever you try to hide from it. Stephen McAlpine, he writes, sin finds a way into our self-made gardens of Eden. Now, the most attractive and kind of common response to the cultural moment is this, conform to the culture. And he essentially says that we should just follow the trends. We should accommodate or conform to culture's views and beliefs. Essentially says if we want to win um, people to Christ and stay relevant, then some of the stricter, less desirable things of Christianity need to go. So let's, let's soften our views on those things that Christianity has traditionally taught that people say is offensive and wrong. Um, and this, this approach, it has good intentions. It's that it's trying to be loving. It's trying to be strategic, that people will come to Jesus through a less offensive form of Christianity 
and it will ultimately lead to them being saved. But what often happens over time is this, that 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 church starts to put a greater emphasis on what culture wants instead of what God wants. And it neglects truth. And compromises can be made to what we believe um, and, and the way we act in order to appease the surrounding culture. This approach often leads a church to look more like the world than it does the bride of Christ. And in all honesty, this is probably why a lot of the mainline denominations within our country are dying and shrinking. Matt Chandler says, when the voice of a culture and not the word of Christ is what governs the church, then it no longer is the church. It's just a social club of people desperately trying to keep up with the cultural fashion. Ironically, that is the quickest way to close your church. Why would anyone bother coming to a church that is indistinguishable from anything else? Now, I want to say this like, not in a mean way, but it's kind of like sometimes I see these groups that are going, we are a church, and then you, you see what's being taught, and it's like, that's not even close to what's in the Bible. It's anti-biblical, it's anti-gospel, and it's just absolute garbage. You would think it's a joke, but it's, they're presenting it as truth. And Jesus calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. And the goal of the church is not to make following Jesus easier. The message of the gospel is necessarily countercultural because the way of the world has not worked. Now, we're going to respond to this cultural moment in some way. And maybe you spent some time thinking about how you're going to respond. Maybe one of these ways is the way you're like, this is the way I'm going. And they might seem good and right ways to respond. But here's the thing. They ultimately undermine our identity as God's people and they're based on fear. Those who want to convert the culture are afraid that they're losing their Christian culture, and if they don't do everything and anything to make the culture Christian, the church will not survive. Those who want to condemn the culture are afraid that if they don't withdraw their kids themselves, and the church is going to be corrupted by contact with the culture. And those who want to conform to the culture are afraid that the church will become increasingly irrelevant, unacceptable to the tastes of broader culture. And they feel that if the church is going to have a future at all, it's got to get with the times. But here's the thing. A wrong response to this cultural moment that we find ourselves in is more than unhelpful or unhealthy. The wrong response can hurt Jesus' reputation, isolate us, make us impotent. This is bigger than our comfort. This is bigger than us trying to get through life without drawing too much attention to ourselves or keeping our heads low so that we don't take any of the shots coming at us from other people. Like John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. How you respond in this cultural moment has eternal ramifications for people. It has ramifications for your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors. And so we need a better response than condemning or converting or conforming to the culture. And the response might mean that we have to get used to being called hateful, bigoted, small-minded, extremist, and backwards, and people might look at you with outrage, ridicule, and increasing aggression because of your beliefs. 
but living faithfully and fruitfully as God's people does not happen accidentally or automatically. It's going to require courage. And without courage, we will not have an impact on those who are around us. But here's what I believe, is that we can actually welcome this time because the church thrives on the margins. The church has been here before, and what I'm saying is that this cultural moment that we find ourselves in might actually be a good thing, that we're heading back to this place where God has traditionally done his best work through his people. Again, Philip Yancey, he writes, the kingdom of God appears to work best as a minority movement in opposition to the kingdom of this world. And so with courage, we can look to the future, not with fear and anxiety, but with hope and a sense of opportunity that God can still move in our time. Proper courage allows us to be excited and encouraged about the time we're living in, not angered, not intimidated, not paralyzed by it. And courage changes our perspective and it, it makes us look at the world with hope and a sense of opportunity. Like I, I know that for many of us, it, it looks as if Christianity, as we've known it, is receding. But in Matthew chapter 16, 18, Jesus says, not even the gates of hell will be able to withstand his church. That's a promise that the church always has a future. And it's never too late for the church when disciples will live with courage. And so the question I leave you with, I know this has been heavy, but is this, how will you respond to this cultural moment? Will you step up and are you going to show up to show the love of Christ in a broken and hurting world? And so next Sunday, I'm going to talk about where courage comes from.